Welcome to True Paranormal, the podcast with your host, Leo Rizzuti. Every week we will explore such topics as ghosts, demons, poltergeists, haunted history, time shifts, cryptozoology, and other aspects of the paranormal through listener-submitted accounts, documentary studies, and interviews with the investigators that dedicate their lives to searching for proof of the unknown. So get a fresh cup of coffee, dim the lights, relax, and get ready for a short visit to the realm of the true paranormal. Hey guys, Leo Rizzuti here. Welcome to another episode of True Paranormal, the podcast. It is 4th of July week here, and that was just a few days ago, so I would like to wish all of my fellow Americans out there a happy Independence Day, and I guess if you're in England, it would be happy thankless treason day, all you colonial guys, (laughs) or if you're in any other country, happy Wednesday, I guess. But at any rate, guys, we have got a lot of stories that you folks have been sending in. We've got some exciting stuff happening at True Paranormal. So let's go ahead and jump right on into those stories. Our first story of the evening comes to us from Roland, and Roland has titled it A Haunting at Number 8 First Street. Okay, Roland, let's see what you sent our way. This list of encounters which befell my family, my mother, father, older sister, and myself, dates back to the years 1990 up until early in 1995. They all happened in the same house, which, before our relocation into it early in 1990, had been standing empty since 1983. It was less than a week after we moved in that my sister started speaking of a woman she had seen in the living room the night before. The woman, as she described, had blonde hair and seemingly no face. Since she was young, the rest of the family had let the incident slip by without taking much notice. However, she kept persisting with her story and added to it a fear of a built-in backyard barbecue grill that she said that the lady wanted removed. What made my mother and myself take notice that perhaps it had not been my sister's imagination and that there might be something going on in the house after all was an event that had occurred just over a month later. At this time, my mother, my sister, and I were all in different locations around the house. We heard the front door open and we all heard my father step inside and say hello, as he always did. What made this greeting slightly different than usual was that when we all went to greet him, he was nowhere in sight. Adding to the mystery was a telephone call about an hour later stating that my father's car had broken down at work and my mother needed to come pick him up. This incident had been enough reason for my mother to give in to my sister's stories and have the barbecue demolished. When it was cleared, however, nothing out of the ordinary was found. My personal second encounter happened one evening while my sister and I had been lying on her bed. Her having just drifted off to sleep, my gaze had fallen onto the floor where I had caught a glimpse of what looked like a small sheepdog run across the floor. 
I was shocked because we did not at that time have a dog. So I thought that one had come into the house somehow from the neighborhood. As I watched the animal, he scurried across the floor and went into hiding beneath the bed. I jumped up and looked for the dog, but there was nothing there. That was the first and last time that I saw it. Coincidentally, that was the night before the crows started to appear, which always seemed to come around whenever activity would start up. In the months that followed, these events seemed to die down and very few, including my father, would believe my mother, my sister, and my own claims that there was something wrong at number 8 First Street. At this time, however, my parents started becoming more concerned about my growing fascination with the undead and macabre than with anything ghostly happening in the house, which made sense since I was still in elementary school at the time. The next event that occurred, I believe it was close to Christmas time, involved a beating of drums in the backyard. My sister and I were home alone and had been getting up to the normal childhood mischief when a steady beating of drums had started sounding on the outside gas tanks. The drumming had been soft and slow at first, then louder, faster, until it had been loud enough for any witness to hear. This had been enough to drive both my sister and myself to tears, and we fled the house and sat crying in the street until our parents had returned from shopping. This incident had laid to rest any doubt that my mother may have still attained, although my father had remained unconvinced. Many events occurred in the years 1991 and 92, but they have all blurred together, with the exception of three personal experiences that stand apart from the rest. The first occurred while the rest of my family was in the backyard and I was alone inside. Until this day, I can still recall an unknown presence that had laid its hand down on my shoulder, an icy sensation that now, even years later, I can still remember as clearly as if it was happening right now. It was also around this time that my parents discovered the artwork that I had done with my top room cupboard, three walls and two doors, all covered in drawings of the dead. It was also in this cupboard that the second distinctive incident occurred, and that was that my favorite childhood book had vanished in an instant. When I say that it vanished, I mean that I literally had been sitting in the dark, reading it with a flashlight, and the next moment, was gone. A thorough search by both my parents proved useless, and what happened to it remains a mystery up until today. The third incident, as I recall, happened in the middle of 1992 while my sister was away at camp. This detail I recall particularly because on the relevant morning, no matter where I went in the house, I could distinctly hear her voice calling out to me every few minutes. I was alone in the house when this happened, and no TV or radios were playing. 
In early 1993, everyone in the house was wakened from the silence by the same father greeting that we had previously had repeating itself. Also, my father's skepticism takes a knock at this point when, as my mother told the story, the night before, our newly acquired Labrador retrievers both looked to the roof and started barking at an unseen force. Out of the thin air, there came a loud sigh that not even my dad could deny. It wasn't much later that my mother started speaking of hearing a voice singing in the hallways late at night, a voice that would die down every time she went to check on it. My sister had, at this time, also started growing more and more disturbed at what was happening around us, and at one point claimed that an icy presence had been chasing her around the house and had been lifting her up whenever she tried to stop. Although this did sound far-fetched to even me, the way she had looked right after she made this claim suggested differently. What made matters worse was another incident which had occurred while my mother had been collecting me from the home of a friend. Upon arriving home, we discovered my sister and her friend sobbing in the street, spewing claims that footsteps had been heard in the hallway, doors had been opening by themselves, and lights and radios had been switching on and off by themselves. At this time, it was now a mutual agreement there was something seriously wrong. My own sighting of a teenage boy in the hallway, which I would later lay eyes on again, and that time with a witness, just added fuel to the fire. Then, as quickly as the incident started, they stopped. The atmosphere in the house was suddenly as if nothing had ever happened there. Even the crows stopped coming around and we would have tried to convince ourselves that it was all our imagination, except for one last thing. Two years had passed since the final sighting at 8 First Street, and I found myself sitting in a classroom. At this point, a young girl, who lived only a couple of houses down from me, but with whom I had nonetheless never truly spoken to, started telling the class about a ghost of some kind in her house, and the stories were exactly the same as mine. She then said that the strangest thing of all was not just the ghost. It was that the same week that they started experiencing things, that they started seeing crows in their yard. Very few at first, but later, up to 20 at a time. Wow, Roland, that was an absolutely amazing story. And that is a lot of activity to have happen in such a short period of time, or relatively short. Uh, It would be fascinating to know about the history of, not just of the house you lived in, but of the community property. Because it seems like, uh, from your story, that the activity was not strictly limited in the end to just your house, but to neighboring houses as well. And speaking of that, what is the deal with the crows? I don't, I don't quite comprehend what the crows were doing. Um, obviously, they were some kind of portent, some kind of omen as to activity. As you said, I've just never heard of anything like that where animals, other than 
flies uh, in certain demonic instances. Never heard of anything where animals are particularly attracted to haunting activity. But obviously, they signaled something, especially if the activity went from one house to another. Um, as far as your story, the fact that it was just a few years and the fact that the kind of activity you saw fits a very typical pattern. Oftentimes, we will see activity that only lasts for a few years, and it seems to always follow the same pattern. First, you have small incidents that can be pretty readily dismissed, things like doors being opened or maybe an occasional knock on a wall or scratches or something like that, things that can be fairly rationally explained away. But then when things become more frequent, you realize that activity is not of a natural cause. It is more of a paranormal cause because of the frequency of it and because of the other evidence around where doors will be seen to open on their own, things like that. Footsteps will be heard in hallways where people aren't there. Things like your father coming home where you hear him come home, but obviously nobody's there, things like that. And then all of a sudden, after a while, you get the third phase, which is a huge ramping up of activity in what is normally a final burst and usually lasts anywhere from a couple of weeks to several months. Uh, in this, you usually have the same kind of activity, but just a lot more of it. Or occasionally you start having things like apparitions appear where you didn't previously have them, or you will have uh, touching, scratching, stuff like that, that wouldn't happen beforehand, but now you're starting to see that more and more often. I'm thinking specifically about the case of uh, Calvados Castle, which if you listen to some of our earlier broadcasts, we covered the history of Calvados Castle, and we saw that same pattern with there, where it was very little activity, and then a more moderate activity, and then all of a sudden, it seems like the floodgates opened up, and everything in the world started happening all at once. And then we have, of course, the final uh, phase of the haunting activity of this type, and that is the sudden drop-off. And it will do, a lot of times, exactly what you describe in your story. It will go from everything in the world happening, multiple things happening every single day, to the point where, as you said, they just kind of blur together, and you can't keep track of them, to literally nothing. And there's no explanation as to why it stopped. There's no explanation as to where the activity might have gone to, whether it's going to come back, anything like that. Sometimes we see that in conjunction with uh, religious practices. Uh, people will have a mass occur in their house, or they will have uh, somebody come by and bless the house or something like that. But more often than not, it literally has no explanation. It just is hey, it's Tuesday, we're not going to have any haunting activity, and by the way, we're not going to have any more from here on out. Which, of course, does nothing for anybody's credibility when you try to bring people by to see the haunting activity in your house, and it has stopped. So uh, it's kind of frustrating there, but the good news is that in the end, it stops. And I do appreciate you sharing your story with us. That was awesome, and I'm glad to hear that you guys are no longer experiencing what you lived through. Okay, our next story is LE419, and it is sent to us by a listener named Ran. Okay, Ran, let's see what LE419 is all about. 
Back in the 1980s, my partner and I moved from Parkdale in Toronto to 419 Sherburne. It was an apartment on the third floor. We moved in with three cats and a dog. It was a large one-bedroom with the bedroom at the top of the stairs across from the kitchen. It had a long hallway with the bathroom three-quarters of the way down the hall and the living room at the end. The building was old and the living room had a kitchen sink in a small room type area behind a wooden bookshelf. I was told that they used to rent each room out, a rooming house kind of thing. The first time I thought that something strange was when we came back from London and found a wooden cross that was on the wall, on the floor, and one of our cats in the bedroom on the windowsill, seemingly frightened, with our two Siamese under our bed. It was strange as they always came out to greet us, especially after we were away overnight. The door to our apartment was on the second floor, and there was about a six-inch gap between the door when it was closed and the first step. The steps were carpeted, but the cats discovered that the carpet under the first step could be pushed back and they could get into the walls. I put a small window screen between the step and the door to keep the cats out of the walls. My partner worked in a beauty supply shop and closed the store at 6 p.m. every night. On several occasions, I would hear what sounded like our apartment door being opened and someone coming up the stairs, but only to the third step. The dog would hear it too, and he would go to look with me, but no one was ever there. One evening, I heard the door open, and someone came up the three steps, and then stopped. When I went to look, there was no one there, but the screen from the bottom step was laying on the third step. I mentioned this to my partner, who just laughed it off and said it was my imagination. One evening, a friend of his came to visit at around 4.30 p.m., and we had a coffee and talked, waiting for my partner to come home. My dog was in the living room, laying facing the hall. Our friend and I heard the door open, and someone come up three steps. I looked at the clock, and it was just six o'clock, so I knew it wasn't my partner. I looked at my dog, who was looking down the hall, and had just started to wag her tail, when suddenly she jumped to her feet and started to bark and growl, every hair on her back standing up. Our friend grabbed my big ashtray for a weapon as we thought maybe someone had just broken into the apartment. We rushed to look down the hallway, but my dog kept blocking me and would not let me enter the hall. All the time, she had her eyes fixed and appeared to be looking at something about six feet from the floor, all the while growling and barking. My friend and I could not see anything. We searched the apartment and found the cats on the bed with their tails all fluffed up and their eyes as big as saucers. After searching the apartment with me, our friend left, asking me to have my partner phone him as soon as he came home. I took my dog and sat outside until my partner came home and asked him to call our friend right away. Our friend told him what happened and we wrote a notice to our landlord saying we were moving out.
As soon as we got the keys to our new apartment, I took our cats over. Usually when cats are taken to a strange place, they hide, but this time our cats ran around and played like they had been just released from jail. I went back once after moving our stuff out to check the mail. I took our dog with me, but when I reached the steps to the building, she refused to go up. It seems that she could sense something that no one else ever could see. Whoa, Rand, that was an absolutely incredible and creepy story. And uh, I think here we have another example, as we often point out, of animals being able to sense things that we as humans simply do not. Or sometimes we sense it, but we don't see it physically with our eyes. You get that creepy goosebump uh, flesh feeling and maybe the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. But animals are very much more sensitive to things like that than we ever could be. And on that note, I would always say that if you are with an animal and that animal is, again, looking at stuff and uh, seeming to notice things that you don't uh, notice, I would always trust an animal's instincts when it comes to identifying haunting activity. And also, as you noted in your story, if a dog that is with you will not go into a location, uh, chances are you should also be wary of going into that location. Uh, you're never going to have a great experience if a dog will not go into a place. So keep that in mind. And the last little thing that I would say about your experience is that it is wonderful that we will often see dogs uh, go out of their way to protect their owners from entities. They'll either uh, kind of shield their owners or they will, as yours did, bar the way from their owners going towards where an entity is and they go into high scale protection mode. Um, I just have to say it's things like that that make me think that we as humans simply do not deserve something as pure as the love and protection of a dog. So if you guys have a dog, give your dog a good pet and tell them that you love them because they love us unconditionally no matter what we do. They're just awesome. That being said, Rand, I really do appreciate you sending us your story. That was incredible. Okay, our next story of the evening comes to us from Anita, and she has titled it, The Voices of Children. Okay, Anita, that sounds kind of creepy. Let's see what you sent to us. About 12 years ago, I was with my boyfriend at his parents' home one weekend. In the morning, I felt my boyfriend wake up and get out of bed. Then I heard him use the shower, get dressed, and go outside. I don't know if I was between sleep and wakefulness, but I do know that I felt someone sit down on the bed beside me and put their hand on my shoulder. I thought to myself that this is very weird. I was kind of scared. I opened my eyes, and there was no one there. However, there was an indent on the blanket. My boyfriend came back into the house, and I got up and told him what had just happened. He told me that long ago, there was an old lady that had a homestead 
where their current house was sitting. He said that she and her grandchildren had died in a fire that burned their house down. He also told me that a previous girlfriend of his had had a similar experience, but had felt hands not on her shoulder, but around her neck and pressure on her chest. Needless to say, he said she never stayed there again, and their relationship dissolved. The next day, I got up and decided that I would help out my boyfriend's parents by mowing their front lawn. It was a hot day, and when I finished, I took a seat on the couch in the basement to cool off and rest. It was quiet except for the small noises of my boyfriend's mother upstairs doing something in the kitchen. I heard her walk over to the sliding glass door that goes onto the walk-around balcony. She often went out there to hang laundry. When I heard her go out, I also heard small footsteps behind her and small voices of children talking to her and giggling. I thought to myself that her grandchildren must be visiting and I left it at that. I must have been sitting there for at least a half hour when I thought I should maybe get a drink of water from upstairs. I went upstairs and I found my boyfriend's mother by herself. I said to her, where are the grandkids? I swear I heard them follow you out onto the balcony. She chuckled and said, there's no one here except you and me. I believed at that moment that spirits do hang around. I think that these spirits guard my ex's parents, and somehow his mother in particular draws spirits to her. I regard her to be knowledgeable about herbs and native medicines and a spiritual healer. I don't see her very often these days, though I know that this is an experience we will always mutually share. Wow, Anita, that's a great story. Um, And I agree, there are seemingly some people out there who have a connection to spirits and do seem to draw them to themselves. And I'm not necessarily talking about people who have the gift of discernment or or empaths or are able to sense where spirits are. I'm talking about literal people who seem to draw spirits to them wherever they go. They can move into a location that's not haunted and all of a sudden they'll have activity around them. Seems like that might be the case with your boyfriend's mother or ex-boyfriend's mother, I should say. Um, And maybe this lady is someone who has found that spirits are drawn towards her and perhaps particularly child spirits. And she feels a love for them and simply cares for them, which is a beautiful thought if you think about that for a little while. And she might have chuckled when you asked her about it because she knew what you heard, but she didn't want to make a big deal out of it, either because it might scare you or possibly because it would scare the child spirits away. And if it was her responsibility or what she has taken on as her responsibility to care for these ghost children, perhaps it's a situation where she simply wants to make sure that they feel comfortable around her. And so she's not going to do anything to disrupt them, including uh, acknowledging the fact that they might be scaring you, which might dissuade them from coming around. 
at any rate, I really appreciate you sending your story to us, Anita. That was an incredible experience. Okay, our last story of the evening comes to us from Sandra. And Sandra has titled it, The Man in a Black Cape. Okay, Sandra, I'm assuming you're not talking about Batman. So let's see what The Man in a Black Cape is all about. We moved into our apartment 11 years ago. When our daughter was small, she had dolls that sang and played Patty Cake, Ring Around the Rosie, and some other songs. Every once in a while, they would all start to sing at the same time, in the middle of the night. The dolls were kept in our dining room. At first, we thought it was somehow caused by dry air or maybe a malfunction in the batteries. These dolls would only talk or sing if you held their hands, yet we were all sleeping when they would all three start at the same time. It was around then that I started to often see a man in a black cape running up or down the hallway or perhaps going into the kitchen. At first I thought that since we had just moved in, that I was seeing shadows, or that I had an overactive imagination. I never mentioned the man to anyone, thinking it was nothing. Until one night, while watching Hockey Night in Canada, on the couch with my husband, I saw the man again. Only this time, my husband said, I just saw a man in a black cape run up the hall. My jaw dropped. I froze and I shivered. He saw the same thing that I had been seeing for the last two months at the exact same time I saw him again and yet had never mentioned to him or anyone. He could not have known what I had witnessed. I have no idea what is going on in the building, but in the past 11 years, I have seen the man in the black cape, witnessed a white cat that is not ours, and heard noises coming from the litter box when there is no cat in there and our other cats were sleeping. I myself have been woken up at night seeing a young girl around the age of nine or ten standing in the hallway, always dressed in a nightgown and with blonde, wavy hair. I have experienced a woman entirely in white in the basement of the building and seen her in our apartment. My husband saw her come from the apartment across the hall and walk into our suite one night when he was coming home from work. While sitting here at my desk, a cupboard to my left where the kids store toys opened one afternoon by itself, both doors at exactly the same time. They had been shut tight all day and then out of the blue, they both opened. Toys have disappeared, then reappeared, only in a different part of the house. A small plastic container we put under the air conditioner on the windowsill to collect condensation literally flew from underneath the air conditioner to halfway into the living room by itself. Hand weights have even come off the stand, and we are talking about 5 to 10 pound weights by themselves, landing upright on their ends. I have experienced the little girl playing tag with me 
tapping me on the shoulder. When she does, I experience a chill that is so cold it sends shivers like you wouldn't believe. And the cold is not an all-over cold, just that particular spot. She appears from time to time like she is looking for her mother, or any mother, to take care of her and somehow has come to me. I am the only one to see her, however, we wonder if it's her that takes and hides the toys. The lid to a storage container has risen above the actual container itself and then slowly lowered itself back onto the container. I have smelled cigarette smoke in the apartment, but in bedrooms where and when there is no one else in the apartment except for myself and the cats. And I don't smoke. I have heard knocking at the front door, definite knocking that has even made the cats sit up, yet nobody is ever there. The television has gone on by itself. It is also shut off by itself. Things in the apartment move, then they return to where they had once been. Things like knickknacks on the shelves, toys, a lighter. We have smelled perfume or aftershave and cologne in the apartment when nobody is wearing anything, and it is a scent that neither myself nor my daughter own. While in the bathroom in the middle of the night, the door opened by itself, and a small towel that was hanging on the door started to move, like a breeze was blowing it. Yet there was nobody or nothing there, and there was no air movement. That same night, just a minute or two before, the phone rang and there was nobody there, only a beeping sound, much like if someone was sending you a fax. It was then that I had to go to the washroom after being woken up, and the door was only a little closed but fully opened on its own, like the phone call and the door opening were a sign that someone was there. Wow, Sandra, that is an absolutely amazing story. And I want to say, just first off the bat, dolls are creepy. I don't care what anybody says, dolls are creepy. And, you know, there are certain levels of creepiness to dolls. To me, Raggedy Ann dolls, although the original uh, Annabelle doll is not actually what you see in the movie, is actually a Raggedy Ann doll. So it kind of has an element of creepiness to it. To me, those kind of dolls are not creepy at all. Plushy dolls are not that creepy. The ones that are creepy to me are the ones that are fairly lifelike, and especially the ones that open their eyes whenever you sit them up. And specifically, those kind of dolls because of an incident that happened to me whenever I was younger. And I'm going to take a moment here, if you guys don't mind, to kind of tell a little bit of a story that happened to me when I was maybe 11 years old, something like that. I had been in a car accident with my sister, and uh, she was driving, and while she was in the hospital recuperating, my mother was spending a lot of time down there because my nephew was really badly hurt and, in fact, ended up dying and uh, things like that. So we stayed during uh, my the time my sister was in the hospital at my aunt and uncle's house. And they had their two older sons uh, that were not there at the time, although I think one of them might have been. 
And we also had my other two cousins who were twin girls that were there. So we had taken, me and my brother took one bedroom that was one of the boys' bedrooms. And we would spend the night there. And we stayed there for a couple of weeks. Well, one night, uh, I was getting up to go to the bathroom. And my cousins had one of those long, probably two and a half, three foot long dolls that when you set them up, the eyes open up. And it was on top of a footlocker type uh, cedar chest in the hallway on top of some blankets. And I saw this doll whenever I came out and I had no problem with dolls at that time. So I just kind of glanced and saw that the doll was there. And I went to the bathroom and when I came back out, the doll was still laying down, but its eyes were open and its head was turned to stare directly at me, which I am getting goosebumps just thinking about because it was one of the creepiest things that ever happened to me. So needless to say, I took the doll and I put it inside of the cedar chest and I didn't say anything to anybody about it. Uh, the next day, nobody said anything about it. The My cousins weren't really interested in where their doll had gone or anything like that. So I didn't even think anything about it until the next night when, again, I got up in the middle of the night and the doll was not on top of the chest because it was still inside of it until I came back out of the bathroom maybe 10 seconds later and the doll was on top of the chest and let me tell you I did not sleep that night uh the whole incident was one of the most horrifying things that has ever happened to me personally it was one of the things that set me on a course to get interested in the paranormal and it is to this day one of the scariest things that I've ever had occur so, like I said, dolls are creepy, and anytime you have haunting activity with dolls, because uh, there are stories about human souls being trapped inside of dolls, and of course you have all the stories of voodoo dolls, things like that, there's a lot of folklore around dolls themselves. So, I just recommend people just don't have dolls, you know, get one a Barbie doll, go get a Barbie doll, but other than that, I would just stay away from them. Play with G.I. Joes, those are pretty normal. <laughs> Um, but it did sound like you, uh, Sandra, had a lot of serious haunting activity. And think about the energy levels required to move heavy objects like the weights. Five or ten pound weights are not easy to move physically, much less with just spiritual energy. And not only that, but to create phantom smells. And as we have talked about in the past, the fact that you have a phantom smell is unique, not only because it is involving a sense that is not normal for sensing activity like touch or hearing or seeing. Your sense of smell is unique in that for you to be able to smell something, an atom or a molecule or a particle from whatever it is you're smelling has to physically touch your olfactory nerves and it kind of fits in like a piece of a jigsaw puzzle and when that particle hits that nerve it kind of reads it and it says oh that's cookies because we've smelled cookies before and we know that this particle is that so for you to smell something for you to smell a phantom smell like perfume or like cigarette smoke or something like that 
that entity, whatever's there, has to have enough energy to where it either literally creates matter that you can have contact your olfactory nerves and read as a scent, or it has to have enough energy to affect your nervous system to where it fools your olfactory nerve into thinking that it's smelling something, which is incredible on its own face value. And the one thing that worries me and bothers me a little bit about your story is the child ghost. And as we talked about in the previous story, there are, of course, child ghosts. There are ghosts of children that people experience all the time. And some people have special relationships with these ghost children. But I would always caution if you just see one, and especially if you have very heavy activity associated with it, which it sounds like you have there, negative entities a lot of times present themselves as small children and particularly small girls. And they're usually ranging in the age between seven years old and 10 years old, which is right in the wheelhouse of what you are experiencing. So I would definitely keep that in mind and use some caution when and if you are communicating with this spirit in your apartment. You don't want to give it any kind of power. You don't want to strengthen it. And especially if you start to see things start to escalate or things start to turn a little bit nasty, as soon as you get a sense of that, get some help because that is not a can of worms that you want to open to see what the worms look like. Just trust me on that, okay? So at any rate, Sandra, I do appreciate you sending us your story. If you have any other incidents or if you find that it is something that you need help with, be sure to contact us and we can see if we can get somebody in your area out to see you as soon as possible. But thank you for sending your story. That was absolutely incredible. Well, guys, that is going to do it for this episode of True Paranormal, the podcast. I would like to thank Ran and Anita and Roland and Sandra for sending in your stories. You guys are absolute rock stars. And as always, if you would like to be a rock star and have your experience shared on one of our broadcasts, simply email it to us at trueparanormalpodcast at gmail.com. That's trueparanormalpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll be glad to share your story with everybody else out in the world of True Paranormal, the podcast. Additionally, if you are on Facebook, be sure to check us out at True Paranormal dash the podcast and give us a like and check out some of our articles and check out some of the funny pictures we have there and any of our old episodes and give us some comments and If you want to contact us that way, just hit the message me button, or you can, again, email us from that if you would be so inclined. If you're listening to us on iTunes, be sure to give us a rating and a review and subscribe to us. And also check out our archived episodes that are there, or in whatever platform you're listening to us. I know that everybody's got all kinds of different apps and things like that that they used to listen to podcasts these days, and we're on most of them. If you find that True Paranormal, the podcast, is not on one, let us know and we can see if we can get that on there so that you can keep the app that you want and still enjoy our show every week. And on that note, this is Leo Rizzuti. I would like to thank you guys for joining us this week and every week. And be sure to join us again next week for another episode of 
True Paranormal, the podcast. Paranormal.